Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing these shows since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, Pitch It, the FinTech Startups Podcast with Todd Anderson, and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro. Or you can listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech News by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Tricia Kemp. She is the co-founder and managing partner of Oak HCFT, and that stands for Healthcare and Fintech. They are a venture capital firm, very well established, been around for almost a decade, and wanted to get Trisha on the show to talk about the, the climate today, what are some of the things that she's excited about. We go through a whole bunch of different things. We talk, obviously, about their investment thesis. Uh, we talk about what the, the last 18 to 24 months have been like from a venture capitalist perspective. We talk about the environment from an entrepreneur's perspective. We discuss what fintech companies need to do to really position themselves for for growth and for potential uh, M&A. We talk about DeFi and her thoughts on that today. Uh, we talk about the, the outlook for fintech and much more. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Trisha. Hi, Peter. Morning. Pleasure. Okay. Let's kick it off uh, by giving the listeners some background. Why don't you hit on some of the some of the high points of your career to date? Yeah, originally from Los Angeles, undergrad in business school in California, and after a brief stint as you know investment banking analyst, then had an operating role in a company that was providing payments capabilities, enhancement services, banking solutions, you know, in and around the, the payments and banking ecosystem. And from there, I, it was very easy to see the opportunities that were going to be coming in fintech and, you know, joined the predecessor fund to launch their fintech effort. And then about nine years ago now, three of us launched OHCFT focused on healthcare and fintech. Right. So what was the sort of the reason for doing that? Like you said, you're in the, the predecessor venture. What? Well, tell us like the founding story of Oak HCFT. We really saw the opportunity of what was going to happen in these two verticals and is still happening. Mm. Uh, there's, as we all know, there's been 10, 15 years of progress and there's going to be another two decades of right. making use of data, being more efficient, automating payments and processing in healthcare and fintech. Uh, automating back office, automating CFO suites, automating hospital payments. And we just found it very exciting to think about supporting the entrepreneurs that were looking to move these two verticals forward and saw the need for there to be financial support. Yeah, we started with the three of us. We have approximately 50 employees at this point, mm-hmm. you know, 70 plus portfolio companies. 
we still think we're kind of in the early innings in both of these verticals. Is a split roughly 50-50 between healthcare and fintech? We probably lean healthcare, but you know we're opportunistic in both. Right, right. Well, for this conversation, we're going to be focusing on fintech. What's the investment thesis there? What sort of drives the investment decisions? We believe that the ecosystems of payments, banking, asset management, insurance are all going to be automated and made more efficient over time. And we like B2B solutions or B2B to customer, whether it's consumer or SMB solutions, in and around all of that. And those infrastructures with use of better data, use of better uh, technology, software solutions, and we all now know, know, you know, AI will be some part of all this to even a greater and greater extent, GPT. All of those areas have been lagging, right, in terms of becoming automated and Progress has been made, tremendous progress over the last 15 years, but we believe there's going to continue to be huge progress going forward. So you could take something like payments, right? And we all know consumer payments, and for instance, the U.S. have become greatly digitized over the last 15 years. Business payments have not. You know, cross-border payments have not. And then all the needs in and around fraud, risk, identity are becoming more and more complex as people are using different devices, different locations. You now have AI, synthetic fraud issues. And so the needs in and around payments or authentication are becoming increasingly more important, You know, not just to the end consumer, but to all the banking institutions and other institutions in the middle. In addition, you know, we've always liked and will continue to like, and I think it was very evident here you know, a month ago or eight weeks ago, you know, what we would call the CFO suite. You can then you know, step into corporate operations, mm-hmm. cash management, ARAP, you know, collateral management, everything that is needed, right, to run a real-time data-intensive, data-authenticated CFO office, whether you are a large enterprise or you're an SMB. You know, we've always believed in those needs. And again, obviously, the banking issues in the last two months, it became more and more evident, people tracking their cash and how do we manage it? How do we get the highest yield? There are different levels of capability. Right. So we tend to like cloud-based solutions in and around all those areas. Digital identity, for instance, is a big area that's going to become increasingly more interesting. Right, right. Okay, so then what about the stage of company? What's... uh... What do you look at there? What's your average check size? And are you mainly focused on the US? I mean, what's the geographic focus? So first of all, we're, we're stage agnostic. Okay. Because, you know, you can find, you really have to be paying attention to the early stage projects and new companies being formed because they're going to impact the growth stage companies. A majority of what we do are growth stage investments, but we do do 15, 20% earlier stage in and around these areas. You know, we write checks from, you know, anywhere on the low end of 20 or 25 up to, let's say, 70, 75, primarily U.S., but in fintech, we have a handful of European companies, and we have seven out of Tel Aviv, and then we have a handful out of Latin America. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And so what's the size of the fund that you're investing from? We have over five billion under management, five point three. The most recent fund is two billion closed last summer. Wow. Okay. So then let's talk about the last sort of you know, 18 to 24 months in fintech. Did you continue to invest in the run-up? And then what about in the last 12 months? Are you still writing checks now? 
So yes, we we did invest, although at a at a slower rate and less so because of you know valuation issues and other issues. You know, company for instance, just uh, JUSTT out of Tel Aviv operations in the U.S. It's post transaction fraud, you know, mm-hmm. fraud from a consumer to a merchant. You know, and it kind of was right down the the fairway of what we like to invest in. So. We found a number number of opportunities in and around the space. We are always going to support great entrepreneurs and great teams going after an opportunity. But it is true in in the the bubble, right? Many of the valuations didn't seem to make sense for us. So so we, you know, were more conservative from that perspective. And we believe, you know, now's a great time. You're going to have well-funded startups as well as legacy players have the opportunity to make acquisitions, have the opportunity to tuck in capabilities that otherwise wouldn't. So I actually think you're going to have winners out of this and it's a it's a great time to be investing. Right, right. What about, so the environment today, obviously there's, we've seen lots of layoffs with fintechs. Uh, we've seen some distressed M&A. We've seen some non-distressed M&A as well, I guess. But what are your thoughts on the actual environment today from, you know, you said it's a great time to invest. What about from a, a fintech entrepreneur's perspective? The opportunities there. There's still the huge need. And I actually think the past couple of months, again, the CFO suite is an obvious example of the need to have the right, right tools right in front of you to manage this. So, you know, I believe that actually from an entrepreneur's perspective, you're going to potentially lose a lot of the Me Too companies and lose the long tail, but the, the opportunity is there, right? So the ability to build a company that can be you know, marketed and sold to enterprises or SMBs or mid-level companies that is helping them run, whether it's their financial office or it's whether sending payments or bills or accounts receivable, whatever it might be. I think all the need for all that's been highlighted. You know, we all know that you know, profitability needs to be more on the horizon, you know, growth plus a sustainable business model, right? And so I actually think from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's great. You can kind of take a breath and you can build a sustainable company going after these opportunities. The right. opportunities haven't disappeared. The needs haven't disappeared. Right. But so if you're one of those companies that's struggling to get to profitability, though, it's uh, I imagine it's a really bad time for you. You must have some, I imagine, in your portfolio, no need to name names, that aren't hitting the numbers that they expected. How, how are they navigating it? Well, first of all, very few, um, if any. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you know, I'd say. Well, then you might have to find a home, right? That you're part, if you have a solution that's needed and you could become part of a larger platform, right? Number one. Number two, there are a number of strategic investors who are actually taking the opportunity to support some of these companies. And uh, you know, they might actually be a great investor for a number of these companies because they also help you know, they might be distribution arm, they might be, you know, a potential large customer. And I would keep figuring out, are those sorts of partnerships what makes sense right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, M&A has, as I mentioned, it's ticking up in fintech. Let's take aside the distressed M&A because there's going to be some aqua hires and different things that really uh, are not kind of a great outcome for the entrepreneurs. But Interesting. You, you talked about this is a great time to consolidate and to like. How do fintech entrepreneurs position themselves? Those that are in good shape for a, a really successful exit for their investors and themselves. So, what are some of the keys there? 
Well, and this is a little bit of our approach, but we've always believed that the majority of fintech exits are sales to strategics. And the way you can position yourself for that is you have those relationships, right? You have relationships as customers or as financial investors, and you're known, you're known to the five or six, you know, potential acquirers over time. So they have time to get to know you. As always, you have to figure out if you can become more of an orchestration layer, that it is an area where you're going to have consolidation. So you can be the, the platform that's consolidating others, right? So that you have a bigger platform to be offering any potential acquirer in the end. But you would make yourself known and you'd make your differentiations known. Right. Customers, partnerships, everybody that makes sense. Right. So then, I mean, the IPO window has pretty much been closed for a while. From what you're saying, it sounds like the IPO window will remain closed for the foreseeable future, do you think? I mean, you're talking about strategic acquisition. Obviously, we had a number of IPOs in like the 2020-2021 timeframe, but what's your thoughts on that for today? It may come back. Who knows? Right? Um, but I wouldn't bet on it. And if you kind of go through history or recent history, most fintech exits are you know, two strategic acquirers. So I would position, if I was an entrepreneur and team, and this is what we chat with, you know, our teams all the time, I would position yourself for that. Right, right. Okay. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. I, I want to talk about crypto and DeFi, and I want to go back and revisit an article that you wrote. It was in Forbes. I'll link to it in the show notes. You, you were quite bullish on DeFi as a technology. This was 2021. So, you know, we've come obviously a long way from that. What are your thoughts on that today? We still think it's going to happen. It's more a question when, not if, Peter. We believe assets are going to, financial assets are going to be digitized over time. And that's not just, you know, what's happened with stocks and bonds, but you go down every asset class that over time they're going to be digitized. And a decentralized financial ledger is a tool to help with that right? And to help with smart contracts. And we are still believers that this is going to happen over time. It might just take longer given what's you know happened the last 18 months. The use cases are evident. The support, I think it's going to take longer to come and you need the correct regulatory environment. And hopefully that will come along. But you know, decentralized finance and ledger, decentralized ledger technology is useful in a number of scenarios. And we believe in the digitization of many assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have mm-hmm. a company, uh, Paxos, right? That that basically that's their mission. Right, right. So so then would you, you would consider in the future making more investments in this space? I think that, yes, we would. I do believe we all need to figure out how the regulatory framework shakes out. You know, you don't want to put yourself at risk of the regulatory framework changing. And so you know, hopefully, right, there will be greater direction in the United States over the course of time. But as, as we all know, decentralized finance is cross-border. And so, but you do want to be fully regulated, you know, as Paxos is. And so I do believe that you hopefully there'll be greater clarity here over the next six to 12 months, and then companies could be positioned. We're recording this uh you know, on April 20th, when there was a development today in Europe where they actually passed some laws, the MICA laws. So, you know, hopefully that will help jumpstart things here because there's, we still feel like we have a long way to go 
so then when you when you look at fintech more broadly, is it fair to say that fintech is still is struggling? I mean, is your expectation that we will see a, a flood of failures through between now and the end of the year? You know, I don't know the particularities of lots of companies, obviously, right? Um, particularly private. I would say, and, and you see this in the public indexes and the public stock prices. You know, I think payments companies, uh, enterprise software companies generally are all doing well. I think that you have certain verticals, you know, buy now, pay later, but we have a great company in that space, Plazo, uh, you know, down in Latin America, but the, the you know, other players, lending companies, direct consumer companies are going to have a harder time, right? And any company that's sort of a me too company that, you know, didn't get scale velocity and didn't get themselves on the path to profitability, you know, may have a harder time. Yeah, that makes sense. So then I'm interested in the payment space too, because, you know, we had sort of this wave of innovation a decade ago with the wallets that came out and then was slow to adopt. I mean, what within payments, I feel like we're just, it's like we're recreating the payment system right now. I mean, like Visa, MasterCard, American Express have had an oligopoly for a long time in the Western world, not so much in outside of that, but how do you see sort of payments evolving over you know over the, so the next few years? Well, a little bit what I said earlier, we believe B2B payments will greatly evolve, Peter, and it might evolve via vertical, you know, in certain different ecosystems. And you might have those payments tied into other platforms, ERP platforms, for instance. So there's greater control out of the uh, CFO office. The opportunity outside the United States is enormous. And, you know, we have a company, Rapid, R-A-P-Y-D, which, you know, does payments, 150 plus countries. There's enormous need and social need to automate, digitize, track, make fully compliant 75% of the payments in the world outside the United States. So we believe there's going to continue to be huge progress in and around all that. And we believe they're going to be vertically specific solutions for an enterprise, mid-level, or SMB player in the B2B ecosystem. Right, right. The CEO of Rapid, he was the previous episode on the podcast. Oh. Hasn't been published <laughs> as we're recording this, but it will be by the time. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah great. So really <laughs> great, great company. So then what about regions? Companies like Rapid are, are global, but operating in you know, places like Latin America. I mean, maybe what are your thoughts on Latin America specifically? You've got a couple of different companies. Are there other, are you bullish on that region over others? Or how do you sort of view the, the different regions that you invest in? We're very bullish on Latin America. Now, I mean, there are other regions in the world to be bullish on. You know, many people talk about Africa, for instance, right? But what, from what we can cover, you know, Latin America makes tremendous sense. And I mean, we all know the stats, a much higher percentage of people unbanked in Latin America. You know, you see anywhere from 30 to 50% in publications, you know, a higher percentage of people without credit. Again, why we're excited about our company, Aplazo, down in Mexico City. And the pandemic highlighted the need for people to become digitized and for businesses to become digitized. So in a place like Latin America, you know, we believe that there's sort of a social need and you now have government backing to sort of push many of these solutions and fintech companies forward. And, you know, we all know, and we've all read all the discussion about, you know, Mexico being the supply chain to the U.S. and to Canada, et cetera. And again, the need for B2B payments, the need for it to become more digitized is very evident. Now it has to get from here to there, 
And, you know, we believe it's going to, we believe it's an opportunity and we believe it's going to happen. Right, right. And then what do you think about the funding environment? We went through like the 2010s, fintech became more and more popular and then it just exploded during the pandemic. And now it's could have gone back. The pendulum has swung all the way back the other way. I guess the question is, when do you expect to have a normal funding environment? What is a normal funding environment for fintech? This might be getting closer to a normal funding okay. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it, it does the entrepreneur and the management team, you know, no benefit to raise at enormous valuations very quickly, right? I mean, you really kind of want a process and the time for both investors to get to know companies, for the valuations to make sense, so that, you know, companies don't end up underwater, for there to be a real plan to a potential exit. And so we believe it might be setting itself back to normal. You know, we'll see is the answer. You know, there'll be a shakeout of companies, as we discussed earlier, over the course of the next 9, 12, 18 months. And I think that you will have core investors like us. I mean, there are a number of investors that focus on fintech. The fintech investors believe in fintech, right? And, you know, we we believe in the ma- the management teams and we believe in the solutions. And so the opportunity to support those entrepreneurs in those efforts is still there. You might lose some of the investors, you know, many people call them tourists, right, who are kind of swinging in and out of fintech. But, you know, the true believers, I think, are going to be here and be here to support the ecosystem going forward. Right, right. Okay. So last question then, as sort of you kind of look at the the fintech landscaping, looking at the investment opportunities that you've talked about. There's a lot of opportunity, but what's most exciting to you, do you think, right now? If we we're going to pick one vertical, yeah. you know, I mentioned it earlier, you know, fraud and then what I'd call identity, mm-hmm. right? And of course, this is all being enhanced by AI and now being enhanced by GPT, right? And so identity and fraud are going to have an enormous arc over the next 10 years, right? right? As everything's becoming more and more digitized. And whether it's a consumer or a business, the ability to identify who is on the other end of a communication or a transaction or an engagement is critical, right? And as the world is becoming more digitized, that need is going up and to the right. And something like GPT actually makes it more complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Because the ability for you know fake synthetic IDs, the ability for you know a fraudulent player to be able to answer the question of who was your childhood best friend, all these kind of multi-factor authorization tools, you know, their ability is getting better. And so the ability to kind of define the identity of who are you dealing with is getting harder and harder. You know, we all know that through you know fake photos and videos, but in, in the fintech world, and again, you can read different stats, but even you know what we'd call the phishing and what we would call the um, you know, the fake CFO, the fake emails sent to CFOs to say send a transaction, and actually that wasn't coming from who it says it's coming from. All of those needs are going to become more and more critical. And that might not be terribly exciting, but it's a huge, huge need for both banks, processors, asset managers, and then it affects, it affects the consumer or the business on the other end, right? It greatly affects what's happening. And so as everybody becomes more digitized, the ability to have an identity and a protected identity is going to become more and more interesting and compelling. Mm, Yeah, I completely agree. I've had, we've had several guests on the show that are focusing on fraud because as I tell you, it's a growth industry, right? The anti-fraud space, because 
the bad guys are going to continue to evolve and you've just got to... It's, yeah, it's unfortunate, but the bad guys are good, right? Yes. So, <laughs> you know, yes. you need to do this. That is. Anyway, we'll have to leave it there, Tricia. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you, Peter. Enjoy your day. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.